engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. It is 5.09. I'm Eric Erickson. This is WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. A big, big tip of the hat to, to Jim Ellis, uh, GMC, for me being able to get to work today. I wasn't actually, I was going to uh, do the show from the bunker and my car died on me, but they were able to get me quickly patched up and back to work so here i am in the studio doing it i can't read radar so if it rains it rains and you're just not going to know it but nonetheless i don't have my computer anything i wasn't expecting to be here let, let me deal with the loretta lynch alias thing before i do anything else if you haven't heard loretta lynch used the name elizabeth carlisle in her department of justice official emails her official department of justice email account was elizabeth.carlisle at uh whatever it is doj.us or whatever doj.gov whatever and a lot of people are making a big deal out of this that this is this is inappropriate. This is this is standard operating procedure in companies where the chief individual has to follow protocol for email addresses. I have a friend of mine who is a very prominent journalist in this country who for a very long time used the standard email profile for his company, first name, period, last name, at, and then his news network. And he was so bombarded by email so much he couldn't respond to internal emails because he was getting so many emails from other people. And he didn't have a secretary, so he had to change it. They started using his middle name. And once that got out, he changed it, and, and his email address is an obscure word now. Uh, this is this is not a conspiracy, folks, and I realize there are some on the right who want to make this as a big conspiracy today, um, but it's not. This is really standard operating procedure. If you were to email me at theresurgent.com, you would not be able to get me with my private email address because you would never be able to figure it out. I do this. Uh, Loretta Lynch does this. Rex Tillerson did it as the CEO of ExxonMobil. Uh, Governor Haley did it as governor of South Carolina. Uh, Rick Perry did it as governor of Texas. Uh, Hillary Clinton did it as secretary of state. Uh, Eric Holder did it as secretary of state. Um, Vice President Cheney did it as vice president of the United States. Uh, Mike Pence does it as vice president of the United States. Uh, this is a par for the course. Members of Congress do this. Uh, I've got multiple members of Congress in my uh, phone address book, and all of them are at mail.house.gov or at whatever their last name is, .senate.gov, and uh, they all have obscure names. Um, one of them, my favorite, my favorite email address for a member of Congress, I won't tell you who it is, but it's um, the little engine that could. Uh, and it's a Senate address, so you can't actually figure it out without going through any of them. But um, it's, yes, the little engine that could. That That is the email address. Most of them are obscure. I remember that uh, when Jack Kingston was in Congress, his was uh, MCJK, Member of Congress Jack Kingston, at mail.house.gov. And each each person has that, and it's common. It's not a conspiracy. 
And I really think that we on the right right now who get so wrapped up into the fury of this stuff as the left is embracing fake news, we need to tap down on these sorts of nonsensical ones like this, these nonsensical stories where people are claiming conspiracy or abuse when there isn't any. There are legit concerns here, including New York Times reporters, the emails are revealing, we're reluctant to pursue this story. Uh, that's where the story should be, not that Loretta Lynch used an alias. The congressional map for Democrats, this is what I think really should be the highlight story of the day, folks. The congressional map for Democrats, they're already starting to lower expectations about taking over Congress next year. Now, the odds are that Democrats will take back Congress next year, or at least I shouldn't say take back Congress, take back the House of Representatives. The Republicans are only defensively hold, fighting for eight seats in the Senate. The Democrats have the rest of them, over 20 seats. And interestingly enough, according to 538, this is Nate Silver's site. And remember, Nate Silver was the darling of the left until last year. He dared to say that Donald Trump had a chance of winning, and suddenly he was exiled by the left. Uh, they, they they accused him of, of playing both sides, that he was no longer honest. Well, Turned out he was, he, I mean, he didn't think Trump was going to win, but he said there is actually a fairly good chance he might win. And the left decided he was no longer useful because he wasn't telling them what they want to hear. Well, he's raising the red flag today that the congressional map for Democrats next year is one of the, is the worst, in his words, the worst congressional map since Senate elections were nationalized or were, were made legal and, and constitutional in the early 1900s when the, what, 16th Amendment was added to the Constitution. The direct election of senators, or was it the 17th? I, can, I always get the 16th and 17th, the income tax and the senators. Anyway, um, the, since we've done direct elections for the Senate, this is the worst congressional map the Democrats have ever had. In fact, what Nate Silver says is that if the Democrats won every congressional district that Hillary Clinton won and won every congressional district that Donald Trump won by three points or less, not only would they not take back the House, but Republicans would gain five seats in the Senate. Think about that. So let me just prepare you for what you're going to hear. What you are going to hear are two arguments from the Democrats. One, uh, the Senate does not represent people and is an archaic institution we should get rid of. And gerrymandering is bad. The, the Democrats, you know, the, Cong uh, the Supreme Court is going to take up gerrymandering next year as a judicial case. They are going to look at whether or not partisan gerrymandering is unconstitutional. And I can tell you right now, four of them are going to say yes because they're liberals and they're predictable. Anthony Kennedy, we don't know whether he'll say it or not. The four conservatives will say we've been doing this for 200 some odd years. We were doing it when the first Congress was in place. Real hard to say it's unconstitutional. But the left is going to try to game the system and get rid of partisan gerrymandering. And by the way, I'm not a fan of partisan gerrymandering. I think gerrymandering should be done or congressional districts should be drawn uh, for compact size and communities of interest. You shouldn't have these snaky lines all over, but uh, it is revisionist history to say Republicans are the worst people at this. All of the uh, gerrymandered congressional districts that Democrats like to highlight 
are ones passed by Southern Democrats when the Republicans were starting to take control. They use maps, they use images of congressional districts from Georgia back in 2000 and North Carolina from back in 2005 as proof that Republicans abused gerrymandering when all those maps were drawn by Democrats. So they're going to take this to the Supreme Court and they're going to say gerrymandering is completely unconstitutional. Uh, the Supreme Court is going to have a hard time doing anything about it because they the Supreme Court likes to have a rule. How do you determine what is and is not a good congressional district? It is very hard to decide. Well, how do you determine communities of interest? Hmm. But they're also going to start waging an institutional attack on the United States Senate. The Democrats have a vested interest in telling you that the Senate is not representative of anyone or anything and no one should listen to it. And the reason being is because of what the Democrats themselves have done. They have moved into their own communities of interest where it is far more likely for a liberal to live in California or New York or Chicago or Washington State or Oregon than anywhere else. It has made it easy for conservatives and Republicans in America to take over state legislators and Congress because Democrats have so refused to acknowledge that people of differences should be allowed to be neighbors with each other. They have self-segregated themselves into East Coast and West Coast communal areas where they can be rich and never encounter a conservative or a Christian and feel good about themselves in so doing, but they've seen the rest of the country to the Republicans. I was tweeting. That's why I looked distracted. <laughs> oh, have y'all heard about the Bakers? I forget what state it was in, but there a, a nine-year-old is a Trump fan and wanted a birthday cake, a Donald J. Trump birthday cake. My kid wants dinosaurs and Ninja Turtles. This kid wanted Donald Trump, which I guess is kind of a dinosaur and Ninja Turtle combo in some way. Uh, but nonetheless, the baker would not bake the cake for the nine-year-old because he was offended by Donald Trump good. I have no problem with this. If a baker doesn't want to bake a cake, no one should make him. But of course, you Christian bigots better go bake the cakes for the gay weddings. You you bigots better do it or else. So if you don't want to bake a cake for a kid who has a birthday and it, he wants a Donald Trump cake, you're, you're allowed to not do that. But if you've got a religious objection, uh, well, you got to do it anyway. The double standards. You know, why can't people just leave everyone? You know, I'm willing to bet this family is outraged, and, and I get it, and I understand the outrage in the other situation as well. But if you pull up a map, I guarantee you there are a bunch of bakery shops within a 10-mile radius. Go to one of the other ones. I mean, if a baker doesn't want to bake a Donald Trump cake, he should not have to bake a Donald Trump cake. If a baker doesn't want to bake a cake for your wedding, the baker shouldn't have to bake a cake for your wedding. If the baker doesn't want to bake a cake for you, go to a different baker. It should really be simple. We should really be able to do this as a society, people. Leave each other alone. Be willing to say, okay, 
never mind, I'll go elsewhere, and then tell all your friends so none of your friends shop there either, and maybe they go out of business. But maybe they don't. That's the chance you're taking. I mean, I have no problem collectively boycotting a, a, a business because you're offended by the person. Uh, but give it a shot. Don't try to drive that person out of business by taking them to court and punishing them because they didn't want to bake your cake. Nine after the hour, and you know it dawned on me, I actually have the radar app uh, on my phone, so I can give you guys some updated, because there is rain in the area that you should know about. In fact, there's some actually heavy rain right now in the area. Um, if you are on the south side of the perimeter, you got heavy rain. There's a strong storm over Panthersville right now, headed up towards Snellville. If you're on 85 in the Duluth-Lilburn area, uh, you've got a storm headed out uh, up 85, and then on 985, very strong storms up towards Gainesville. Uh, everything on the east side of the city, fairly light. On the south side of the city, the Griffin area, uh, headed towards Locust Ro Grove and McDonough, you've got some storms, light rain in the Stockbridge area. Otherwise, the rest of you, you're okay. The Georgia Republican Party has decided to pass a resolution denouncing casino uh, gambling and horse track betting. They do not want it. John Watson, who's the chair, new chair of the Georgia Republican Party, been a lobbyist for casinos, and he recused himself. Uh, overwhelmingly, the party said no, and they did so for a, a significant reason, and that is crime. Uh, that he, he study after 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 study, do I need to say any more, after study after study shows uh, that when casinos come into areas, crime goes up. Now, that's not new um, because casinos like drugs can, can be addicting and you see bankruptcies go up, you see prostitution grow up, go up, you see um, crime go up, you see neighborhoods decline over and over and over and over. I mean, major study after major study over the years have shown this. You need look no further than Louisiana or Illinois or Missouri or Boston or Baltimore to see what happens when casinos come into the area. Las Vegas is in the desert for a reason. Las Vegas is the exception to the rule. Even Atlantic City wasn't able to cut it, folks. And yet you've got Republicans in the Georgia legislature who have given up on Georgia and have decided the only way to do anything is to bring in casinos. And the Georgia Republican Party itself has now passed a resolution saying absolutely not. That's crazy. What they have not done, however, is pass a resolution demanding to know the position of each person running for governor on RIFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. They have passed a resolution saying we need it in Georgia, and we do. But they don't want to know the positions. And honestly, I suspect they would get lied to anyway. But if any person who is running for governor comes on this program, I intend to ask them their position on the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And I think we need substantively to know, for example, uh, Casey Cagle supported it two years ago and then the governor vetoed it. And then this past year, uh, once the election was over, decided not to pursue it again. I would like to know why. And is it supported in the future? And I think uh, Brian Kemp, 
Michael Williams, Hunter Hill, and the like, they all need to answer the question on RIFRA. And why can't the state of Georgia have the exact same identical language that the federal government has? That's what Nathan Deal in the past has said he would sign, and why won't they do this? You know, the other big fight we're going to have in the legislature coming up this year is on adoptions. And the legislature and the governor, they're opposed to putting in a provision that exempts Christians from the uh, from gay marriage adoption. Essentially, uh, what the legislature wants to do is say you can't discriminate against anyone or if you want to help the state adopt children, help the state place children in adoptive or foster families. And members of the Senate have wanted an exception saying that, that people of faith, adoption agencies run by faith-based organizations, can if it comes to uh, gay marriage. The state of Texas has given that exception. I don't understand why Georgia can't. But some Republicans in Georgia think that Christian adoption agencies should not help place children in foster homes or adoptive homes uh, because of that. And I don't know why they should single out and persecute Christian adoption agencies, which actually have a better track record of placing people than many secular adoption agencies in the state. Now, there's a story out there circulating that Mike Pence is looking at campaigning for president in 2020. It's a BS story, and I nearly just said the actual word. I gotta, I gotta bite my tongue on this one. Uh, he calls it disgraceful and offensive. It is BS. He's not looking at running in 2020. Uh, Mike Pence is the first vice president we have had in the last two presidential administrations who could potentially run for president after this president leaves. Uh, it would be insane for him not to be laying groundwork, not for 2020, but for 2024. But given the current current turmoil and the president's repeated thinking on, on his tenure in office, that he ought to go ahead and lay the groundwork now. Maybe the president decides not to run again in 2020. Maybe he decides to step down early. The vice president doesn't want to be caught flat-footed. It's the smart thing to do. But the reason the media is pursuing this story is because the media wants to sow discord. The media knows that the vice president is the last conservative to regularly, on a daily basis, make contact with the president. If they can sow strife between the president and the vice president on this issue, they might be able potentially to get the president to no longer trust the vice president and thereby shutting conservatives out of the president's ear. That is why the media is pushing this story. You should not believe the story. Well, you know, I realize KLM, the Royal Dutch Airline, they did not actually intend this. But it's apparently Pride Week in Amsterdam, and they've put up a picture of seatbelts. They're rainbow-striped seatbelts. And uh, two of them have the, the buckles facing each other. Two of them have the plugs that go in the buckles facing each other. And only one of them has the plug and the buckle that actually works. Uh, thereby demonstrating, although their caption is, it doesn't matter who you click with, uh, they are physically in this picture demonstrating that two out of three of these things aren't made to work that way. I'm just, it's kind of, that's, I mean, it's, it's true. Um, yeah. Wow. Goodness gracious. Where was I? Loretta Lynch. That's where I was. The emails with Loretta Lynch.
they forget about the Loretta Lynch alias. As I said at the start of the program, uh, Loretta Lynch is perfectly entitled to use an alias. Many of the prominent senior members of government use an alias. Uh, and, and, you know, if I was in government, I would too. If I had to use the standard form, first name dot last name at uh, doj.gov, I would use if I was a prominent person. And she's allowed to. It, it's, it's customary. It's traditional. They all do it. Her predecessors did it. The big story here is that New York Times reporters are caught in these emails not wanting to cover the story of her meeting with Bill Clinton and trying to figure out ways to avoid reporting the story. That's the big news there. When we come back, other big news. A UGA professor wants kids to pick their own grade. It is 6.09. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. If you're on I-20 west of the city out uh, from the perimeter to Conyers, you got rain, heavy rain down in the McDonough, Lovejoy, Hampton area, Locust Grove, light rain. Uh, oh my goodness gracious, uh, east side of the city, you got light rain uh, south of Carrollton headed towards Noonan, and that's about it. Okay, y'all, there's a UGA professor who has decided on a stress reduction policy for his class. He's going to let the students pick their own grades. Now, this will, if nothing else, be a test of character for the students in his class because, uh, you know, the default is to presume they'll all give themselves an A. There may very well be some who do. There may very well be some who don't. But the whole idea is ridiculous. Is this not, to a degree, the professor abdicating his responsibility as the professor? to grade and not just teach, but to grade. So let's see here. This is from Campus Reform. This is Richard Watson. It's a business course. Oh, well, it's a business course. I didn't realize. I thought it would be a real class going into it, but it's just a business class. I'm sure it's full of, like, the football players and basketball players at UGA. (laughs) Uh, all the tech kids are laughing. A UGA business class. It's a business course. He he has introduced the policy because emotional reactions to stressful situations can have profound consequences for all involved. As such, if students feel unduly stressed by a grade for each accessible material or the overall course, they can email the instructor indicating what grade they think is appropriate, and it will be so changed with no explanation being required. If in a group meeting you feel stressed by your group's dynamics, you should leave the meeting immediately and need offer no explanation to the group members. The policy adds, saying students can discontinue all further group work with their remaining grade being 
based totally on non-group Now, that I could go along with because, you know, you get paired in some of these groups in college and you got a bunch of idiots with you in your group and you wind up doing all the work. So you might as well not have the group and just do the work on your own. I'm down with that. But the whole emailing your professor and say, no, I think I deserve an A. I think you should give me an A. And no questions asked, you get an A. That is ridiculous. If it's some dude doing that, I hope the professor mails him tampons as well. I mean, seriously, this is ridiculous. I'm going to get hate mail for that, aren't I? But you know it's true. I mean, some guy emailing the professor, I really think I deserve an A. Whatever. You deserve an F for having the audacity to email your professor thinking you deserve an A. I have no sympathy for these people. Millennials. I've had enough of them. This, this whole UGA professor stuff reminds me of the meltdown the left is having over the memo at Google. Folks, I have read the memo at Google. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, an engineer at Google has written a memo. And in the memo, he acknowledges that diversity is a good thing and that companies need diversity. You would not know that if you read most media reports of this. He acknowledges that diversity is a good thing. But he says Google should also try to deal with intellectual diversity that conservatives at Google and the rest of Silicon Valley feel unwelcome. And in fact, remain in the closet because uh, of what people would do to them if they knew they were conservative. And that Google, in, uh, in prioritizing skin color and gender and sexuality diversity, will essentially have a bunch of people who all look differently but think exactly the same way. And that Google will eventually lose the ability to innovate as it descends into groupthink. Because it will look around and say, oh, we clearly have diverse ideas because we got blacks, whites, Asians, Hispanics, male, female, uh, trisexual, intersexual, pansexual, asexual, uh, transgender, hermaphrodite, gay, lesbian, you name it. Uh, But we all think exactly the same thing about everything. Trump bad, Hillary good, rainbows good, Jesus bad, all all these things. And uh, the conservative in his memo points out this actually will stifle our ability to innovate long term when we convince ourselves that we're diverse, but in fact everybody thinks exactly the same way. And he's right. But he has dared to say, in fact, the, the head of diversity for Google, yes, Google has a vice president of diversity, very politely responded by saying, shut the hell up. Uh, and, and, and now they're threatening the guy's job. They, they want the guy fired for daring to say this. The, the ability of the left to practice diversity without actually practicing diversity has never ceased to amaze me. These people do not want real diversity. They don't want authentic diversity. They don't want a variety of ideas. They don't want a variety of backgrounds. They want a very homogenous people who just happen to look different. And they've really got it in their heads. Well, women will bring fresh ideas. Now, I would submit to you that a liberal woman and a beta male in skinny jeans at Google will all have the same ideas. A conservative woman will have different ideas from the the beta male liberal at Google, uh, but the conservative female isn't going to be hired at Google. And oh, by the way, I realize people aren't supposed to say these things, 
but in multiple studies conducted by men and women, it turns out, you know, men actually do have a propensity for software programming that women don't have in many cases. It is not that women don't want to, they can't be programmers. It's that they oftentimes don't want to be. And it's not a situation of they didn't have mentors, they, they didn't have the ability, they didn't have the education, they just decided it wasn't for them. They didn't have the personality for it or, or what have you. You know, and, and I speak of this, this is, this is real world data for me. My wife has a degree in computer programming. She wanted, I'm, I am tech support in our house. My wife has multiple degrees in computers at our and in our house. I am tech support. I mean, for God's sakes, my wife couldn't. Pro- Back in the day, there was this thing called a VCR. My wife, I would have to be the programmer for it. The, the television in our house, I lose remote controls because my wife would prefer to destroy them than figure out how to use them to turn on the TV. She thinks there should just be one button that does everything. But she's the one with the degrees in computer programming and didn't want to be a computer programmer. I, I, when I hear these studies that, you know, women, it's not that they, they don't have access to, they don't have the skill sets. It's just it's not in their personality to do this or that. I totally see it with my wife who could program a computer if she wanted to, but she doesn't actually want to even though she got the degree in it. But this guy is probably going to lose his job. Because a bunch of social justice warriors are outraged at the idea that people at Google should not all think the same thing, but should have diverse individual thoughts. How dare he say anything like that? Do you filthy bigots eat cheese? Do you know you're perpetuating rape culture if you eat cheese? I, I, this is news to me. You know, last night, so I, I took a, a pork loin last night and I uh, split it open, basically unrolled it with a knife and then pounded it nice and thin and stuffed it with prosciutto and spinach and garlic and cheese. And then I rolled it up, tied it so it stayed in the log and I baked it and it had cheese and garlic oozing out of it and tasted bacony. It was fantastic. I did not realize I was perpetuating rape culture by eating that wonderful garlicky, spinachy, cheesy piece of, and it was a loin too. There's a joke there somewhere and perpetuating rape culture with the eating the cheese from the pork loin. I just, we won't go any further down that road, but according to PETA, I committed rape. You see, only female animals produce milk, and only female animals, therefore, produce cheese. And to get the milk to make the cheese, the animal is raped, according to PETA. So if you eat cheese, you are perpetuating rape culture. You are participating in the byproduct of rape by eating your cheeseburger. Unbelievable. You know, it's so do you guys know who uh, Louise Munch is? She's the nut job on Twitter with 200 some odd thousand followers who engages in absolute shrill, hysterical uh, Trump Russia nonsense. And I have come to the conclusion that she doesn't believe it, that and it's not a parody, that she's doing this 
to discredit people who actually relay, raise legitimate concerns. Oh, this can't be legitimate because Louise Munch already raised this issue. And she's a nut job and everybody knows it. I am convinced that PETA is a, has become a parody of itself. You know, there's a dirty little secret in entertainment, uh, in radio, television, and elsewhere, that people can become a parody of themselves. That you can do the shtick on radio or TV. Uh, you, you can have your nightly show where you're, you're full of bluster on TV. And over time, you become that person in real life. I... I, I I do not know this person, uh, but there is a, a popular radio show host in America, I'm told, who has a, a way with bluntness with his listeners. I'm not talking Dr. Laura. It's a man who does basically the same shtick. And that he's apparently used to be a very genuinely nice guy, but to this day now, he has become a parody of himself and is in that blunt way with anybody uh, who encounters him and just expects that they want his advice and he's going to be blunt, even if they're just trying to have a friendly conversation. He's become a parody of himself. PETA has become a parody of itself. Just absolutely ridiculous. Now, when we come back, uh, the media is in a meltdown over the president's trade policies. It is 6.39, and I want you people to know that I have been disciplined today because I could have dedicated the entire two hours talking about that Game of Thrones episode last night, and I, I haven't done it, but I've really wanted to do it, but I haven't. And instead, we need to talk about the president's trade policies. So the president is withdrawing from the Trans-Pacific Partnership, but he's not really withdrawing from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. It was a great promise of his. Um, so I need to set this up for you a little bit as to what the president did. TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, had flaws. Everybody agreed it had flaws. And even though the process was moving forward, the United States was already working with various other countries to restructure TPP to take into account the various flaws. We had already worked on changes with Mexico and Canada, for example, that would also tweak NAFTA. We have worked on changes with some European countries and with a number of Asian countries, including um, Taiwan and Japan and China and Indonesia, uh, several others. What the president decided to do, though, was to withdraw from TPP to keep a campaign promise and then go to each of these countries and essentially enact TPP with the previously agreed to changes. What's happening in the meantime, though, is that a number of countries are trying to take advantage of discord and disharmony in this country and stick it to U.S. exporters. And they're coming up with uh, trade deals that cut us out. The Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the rest of them are running doom and gloom stories about what this means for rural America. And I do have to tell you, there is some truth to it with these deals, but they're trying to blame the president for withdrawing for TPP. And I really, I honestly don't think that him withdrawing from TPP, given how he was going to restructure it anyway, is having that big of an issue with it. I think these are ancillary agreements, uh, people smelling weakness in the United States, and they have been since Barack Obama. I mean, the fact of the matter is, whether you want to admit it or not, 
There is a good portion of the world right now that looks on the United States as having lost its darn mind. They do not believe we at this point are serious or seriously focused on the world. And it's not because Donald Trump is elected, that's just a byproduct of it. It is the insanity of the left of this country and also the growing insanity in parts of the right in this country. Both sides want to withdraw from the world, it seems, and turn their back on world obligations and think the rest of the world has it. But they don't at the same time. They want to have it both ways. And we're sending mixed signals in the world. That's the biggest problem. When you've got vocal parts of the far right also going after H.R. McMaster, the national security advisor, who, by the way, I'm convinced uh, the Russians are pushing the nonsense against McMaster. Uh, I am absolutely convinced. I have reason to believe uh, certain websites that are pushing all of the discord against H.R. McMaster seem to be some of Moscow's favorite propaganda artists. So you've got the Russians trying to sow discord, you've got the left trying to sow discord, you've got the media trying to sow discord, you've got the right going just bat crap crazy in this country when it comes to the president and trying to justify everything he does. There are very few people left in this country who actually want to uh, have an ideological position and also show some accountability. People who are liberal or conservative uh, and they put their ideology ahead of their tribe. There's too much tribalism in this country right now. And the rest of the world sees it, and they read it as an indicator that we are ripe for the taking, and they intend to do it. The media, though, can't understand that because the media is part of the problem. So the media solely wants to blame the president for withdrawing from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. The fact of the matter is, though, the bottom line is, rural and exurban American areas are beginning to turn on the president because of the nonstop media blasting and blaming of the president. And the reason they're doing it is because of the economic circumstances in Indiana, in Ohio, in Pennsylvania, in Michigan, in Wisconsin, uh, in those areas, the rural economies are starting to turn down again. And a lot of it has to do with business related to international trade using rural areas to provide cheap jobs in this country and they're getting hurt. And the president's getting blamed in the press and well, eventually the people are going to believe it whether it's true or not. I'm pulling this article up from the BBC. The BBC. You know, when I was growing up, I had a shortwave radio when we lived in Dubai. I used to get the Canadian radio. What is it? The Canadian Radio Corporation, the CRC, and the BBC. This is the BBC. Oh, it turns out that there actually are Americans fleeing the United States because of Donald Trump. Canada is being overrun with left-wing Americans who have just, they're having like sexual fantasies about Justin Trudeau, the Canadian prime minister, and they want to get out of America because of Donald Trump. And there's a problem. As they leave, guess what they're giving up? Their voter registration cards. And so it becomes a feedback loop. You've got all these liberals leaving the heartland for coastal cities where liberals can be liberals together. And that's ceding the rest of the country to Republicans and conservatives. And then you've got some of those coastal liberal elites leaving to go to Canada. 
which is just freeing up more space for more liberals to leave the heartland. And again, going full circle back to the beginning of this program, Nate Silver in 538, this is the worst congressional map for Democrats since 1919. Because liberals have decided to self-segregate in liberal enclaves along the coasts, which frees up all the other states for Republicans. And they're having a harder and harder time. It has nothing to do with gerrymandering. It has nothing to do with Donald Trump. It has everything to do with liberals themselves deciding to live along the coasts with other liberals, leaving the heartland for Republicans. That's not actually a bad thing, although you know for the next year they're going to be insufferable trying to delegitimize the Senate because of it. It is 55 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. Remember, if you want to sign up for the daily email, you can text WSB to 444-999, and that will get you uh, connected and subscribed. You can also text the word WAKE to w, uh, to rather 444-999, and that will get you the links to Barnes & Noble and Amazon to pre-order my book. The audiobook is done. I may have to go back and make one or two tweaks, but it is, by and large, it is done. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Uh, what an emotional, grueling experience. It really was. I had completely forgotten I had written uh, some parts of the book and got through them. I was like, wow, I can't believe that I wrote that stuff. Uh, in any event, um, y- y- y'all are aware of what's happening in Venezuela, I assume. Uh, the people there are starving to death. And Jeremy Corbyn, who is the uh, British Labor Party head, is upset uh, with the parents for trying to find food for their children. That's right, he's, he's blaming the parents for trying to not let their children starve uh, and that they are exacerbating a hunger crisis by trying to feed their children, among other things. Venezuela, remember all of, the, all of the left-wing pundits who hailed Hugo Chavez, that Venezuela was the place to go. Venezuela was standing up. Venezuela was coming out of the third world. It was becoming a major player on the planet, and we should all take it seriously. And Sean Penn and Oliver Stone went down there to tell you how awesome Hugo Chavez was. The whole experiment has gone to hell in a handbasket. I mean, people are literally starving. The military is shooting people uh, who try to go to grocery stores when they're not supposed to. Priests, Catholic priests, are standing in the line of fire to protect the people. Uh, This is socialism. This is what happens in socialist countries uh, that go full-bore socialist. And, you know, the the media right now would have you believe that this is all the the Hugo Chavez's successor's fault. It has nothing to do with the actual policies. But it never works. Socialism never works wherever it's tried. Uh, They have to give it up in some degree. You even see this in Scandinavian countries. They're having to give it up and become more capitalist to survive. It's absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) 